This morning we're going to be back in the book of Psalms, as we talked about before, being our September in the Psalms. We wrapped up Psalm 34 of David last week, and so we're progressing to the, to the very next one. Psalm of David and Psalm 35, it says the Psalm of David, so we know that David was the author of this psalm. Um, this psalm was an interesting psalm, um, being that we preach expository preaching and we go verse through verse, sometimes we get to passages that are, that are difficult that maybe we would in our fleshly self might skip around or go around or go under or figure out a way, well maybe we'll just come back to that later, but when we're preaching straight through the Bible, it doesn't allow us to do that. So we hit this, and this is a beautiful psalm, don't get me wrong, but it's one of what's called the imprecatory psalms. That's a big word. Imprecatory meaning a psalm that's calling for God's judgment on the enemies of Him. And so it's, a, it's an individual lament to this psalm of David. It's a prayer. The whole thing is a prayer to the Lord. And as we look at this, we, we can all relate to David and many of his examples, many of his psalms, many of his writings. Um, as we think of this, think of you if you have been in situations where maybe people have strived against you for no apparent reason. They're just coming at you and they're trying to wreck things from your life, trying to cause trouble and nothing that you did. Or maybe that you've uh, maybe you've been betrayed by a close friend that just came out of nowhere. You know, no greater wounds are there than the ones that are distributed that are closest to us. The ones that have, you know, betrayal and rejection of those you of those we love are, are tough and are hard to get through, hard to get over. Or maybe you've been persecuted because you followed Christ. Maybe you've taken a stand for what you believe and others have shamed you or have ostracized you or you name it. But we can relate in this psalm to David as we get into this. So as we think of this, think of the life of David, where he's at. Think of the life of yourself as a follower of Christ. And think of Christ himself as he lived on this earth and came. And as we think of the Psalms and how they relate to Christ, let me share a, a pivotal verse in the New Testament that helps us. Luke 24, 44. So Jesus is walking, after he walked with the, 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 the men from Emmaus, and he was with his disciples after the resurrection. And he, tell, he says these words. He says, these are my words that I spoke to you while I was still with you, that everything written about me in the law of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms must be fulfilled. And then he says he opened their minds to understand the Scriptures. So when we look at the Psalms, we must realize that much of the Psalms are fulfilled in Christ. That we have the Scriptures. We have, in fact, the, the, if you had said the Old Testament back to those, they wouldn't even know what that meant. It's, it's the Scriptures, the Word of God. And we have what we call the New Testament, but that's still the Scriptures and the Word of God. So it's one, sometimes we separate that, and, and it's, even the, the book titles and the verses are, are added. They're not uh, inspired, but they help us to know where we're at in the Bible, where we are in the Bible. But know that it's the Scriptures as a whole and how they all speak to Christ. So remember, we're going to start. So if you turn with me to Psalm 35, if you have your Bibles with you, remember here, this is a prayer. And it's asking God for defense against these baseless charges that are made against him from the enemies. So it says Psalm 35, a Psalm of David. Contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. Take hold of the buckler and shield and rise up for my help. 
Draw also the spear and the battle axe to meet those who pursue me. Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like the chaff before the wind, with the angel of the Lord driving them on. Let their way be dark and slippery, with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. For without cause they hid their net for me, without cause they dug a pit for my soul. Let destruction come upon him unawares, and let the net which he hid catch himself into that very destruction. Let him fall. And my soul shall rejoice in the Lord. I shall exult in his salvation. All my bones will say, Lord, who is like you? Who delivers the afflicted from him who is too strong. And the afflicted and the needy from him who robs him. Malicious witnesses rise up. And they ask me of things that I do not know. They repay me evil for good. To the bereavement of my soul. But as for me... When they were sick, my clothing was sackcloth, and I humbled my soul with fasting, and my prayer kept returning to my bosom. I went about as though it were, as though it were my friend or my brother. I bowed down mourning as one who sorrows for a mother. But at my stumbling, they rejoiced and gathered themselves together. The smiters whom I did not know gathered together against me. They slandered me without cause, without ceasing. Like godless jesters at a feast, they gnashed at me with their teeth. Lord, how long will you look on? Rescue me, rescue my soul from their ravages, my only life from the lions. And I will give you thanks in the great congregation. I will praise you among a mighty throng. Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously, for they do not speak peace. But they devise deceitful words against those who are quiet in the land. And they opened their mouth wide against me. And they said, Aha, our eyes have seen it. Oh, you have seen it, O Lord. Do not keep silent. O Lord, do not be far from me. Stir up yourself and awake to my right and to my cause, my God and my Lord. Judge me, O Lord my God, according to your righteousness. And do not let them rejoice over me. Do not let them say in their heart, aha, our desire. Do not let them say, we have swallowed him up. Let those be ashamed and humiliated altogether who rejoice at my distress. Let those be clothed with shame and dishonor who magnify themselves over me. Then he says, let them shout for joy and rejoice who favor my vindication. And let them say continually, the Lord be magnified who delights in the prosperity of his servant. And my tongue shall declare your righteousness and your praise all day long. Amen. Hear the word, hear the word of the Lord from Psalm 35. As I said before, this section is an imprecation. Imp, it's a hard word to say. Imprecation. He's, he's calling on judgment against things that are happening in his life. And so we need to see how are we as believers in Christ to approach this. Um, you know, we know the words of Jesus where he said, you know, feed those who are, feed, you know, give water to your enemies, feed those who persecute you, uh, do good to those that do bad evil to you. And so we see we need to see what's going on here in this passage and 
We know it's David is a prophet. He's writing this. He's also a king. He's the book of Psalms is Hebrew poetry. Much of it is poetry. So when we look at this passage, we're going to see some parallelism, which, which means repetition. So it's really three sections in this. It's, it's a long psalm. I know it's so a stick with it. It's a long psalm, but it's three sections calling for God to defend him and deliver him. And he's calling for the righteousness of God, too. And the righteousness of God is two ways. It's also delivering those that are his and it's destruction of the wicked. And so David is is three is three cycles, if you will, of exasperation of David, you know, pleading his heart out and petitioning God and then expectation of God answering and praise to God, worship to God. So we're going to see there's three sections and within each one, two, three sections, we're going to see three of the same. We're going to see a prayer to God and then we're going to see a protest against injustice and then see we're going to see praise to the Lord. And we're going to see us going to be repeated three times here with David. So remember, the imprecatory Psalms are calling on the Lord to invoke his wrath and his judgment upon the enemies of God. Notice, too, it's not revenge. It's not, oh, she said something bad about me, so Lord, bring down fire. No, it's not that. It's not, it's not revenge what David's calling for. We're going to see as we progress through here. I want to say a little more about the imprecatory Psalms before we start. Uh, Steve Lawson, uh, wonderful man of God, a preacher who I listen to quite often and have written, written, read some of his books. He said, uh, the imprecatory, imp- I'm having a hard time saying that, imprecatory, imprecatory Psalms are motivated by a fiery zeal for God's glory. And he said, he said they serve these following purposes. He named four purposes. One is to demonstrate God's holy hatred for sin. Number two, he says, to show authority of God over the wicked, that he is over all. And number three, to lead the wicked to see the Lord, that they might turn from their wicked ways and see who God is. And number four, that we could relate to this morning as we listen to that beautiful song and we're saying along this morning, number four is to cause the righteous to praise God, to praise God who he is. So remember, righteousness of God is going to be manifested in two ways and, and God will judge the wicked. But he also gives grace, we know, grace and mercy to those who will turn to him in faith and repentance. So the title of our message this morning is, Assure Me of Your Salvation and Deliverance. As he prays to God, assure me of your salvation and deliverance as he prays here in this prayer. In this first section, he says, of the, the first section, so first section, class A, so we see a prayer. We're going to see this in a prayer, a protest, and a praise. So the prayer, he says, is a contend, O Lord, with those who contend with me. Fight against those who fight against me. He's saying contend or plead. It's like a courtroom scenario. Plead with me. Be my judge. Be my judge against those who come against me. And then he says, be, fight for me. So not only be my judge, but be my warrior. He even uses terms like, Take hold of the buckler and shield. A buckler would be a huge shield that you could actually stand behind and like the soldiers would and they would defend themselves from the arrows. And then the shield is the one they're holding here. So he's telling God to defend him by these ways that you and I can understand. God doesn't need spears. He doesn't need battle axes. He doesn't need he doesn't need uh, 
shields and bucklers. He can speak it with the word of his mouth and knock you down. He can, he can cause life and he can destroy with the breath of his mouth. But here we're using terms that you and I can understand in a defensive stance, in a military stance. So he's using these to say, stand for me, stand for me. And so these false accusations from wicked men. We know we know that we live in a fallen world, do we not? There's all kinds of things that are not right that we, we come across things. We're like, this shouldn't be. Why is this happening? It's because of the fallen world that we're in. And David is, 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 this is common for David to experience these things. King of Israel. It was common for the king of kings, Jesus Christ, to suffer these things. The malice and the wickedness of men. And it's common for you and for me to experience these as we go through life. But there's hope. There's hope. Because we know that there's false accusations, but the Bible says if God is for us, who can be against us? That's a verse that I think most of us have heard and know, and it's, help, it's helpful. So notice also who, God, who David is appealing to. He's de, he is appealing to God Almighty for his defense. Now, he's King, he's king David, and maybe you're in a situation where you think, well, I can handle this, and I'll take this on. David could have done that, but he says, no, I would, de- I would depend on God. I will appeal to God, and God will fight for me, and he will defend me, as opposed to taking vengeance on things. And like we do a lot, we're fixers, or at least I am. Like Marine, told, Marine used to tell me when I was a younger man, quit trying to fix wagons, because I was always trying to fix everybody's wagon. You know, they were going this way or that way. Let me help you here. We fix you. But that's, that's our natural way. But it's, it's, let, let's, let's take these things to God. So he talks about defensive weapons and, and, and then also, also the offensive. So the javelin in some, some of your scriptures or the battle axe and the spear. Meet those who pursue me. This next verse, verse 3, is really pivotal. I love this verse where David says, he says, Say to my soul, I am your salvation. Here David's in the fight of his life. Things are going poorly. In the Hebrew, this is something interesting too. Salvation is translated Yeshua. So be my Yeshua, which is the root word for Joshua and Jesus. When people say I'm a follower of Yeshua, when you see Jewish people that have come to Christ, follow, so salvation, Yeshua, Jesus, that's very interesting, I thought, as I looked at that. Not that I know Hebrew, in fact, I'm struggling tremendously, but... This word, I, I thought, was very interesting. Salvation is Yeshua. And it says, say to my soul, I am. He doesn't say, say to my soul, maybe be my salvation, or you could be. He says, tell me that I am. So he's begging him to deliver him. But more than anything, he needs assurance of his salvation. That I am yours, and that I am in your hand, God. And that you are my salvation. And if everything else falls around me, that's fine, because you are my salvation. Remember when Paul had the thorn in his side? And this relates to me tremendously. I remember at one point in my life where it said, and, and Jesus said that my grace is sufficient for you. So you, you lose your house, you lose your family, your health goes bad, whatever. You lose your job. My grace is sufficient for you. 
And that's a verse that, 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 that I try to remember. But David desired to be fully persuaded that God is his, his salvation. He wanted assurance of salvation. He wanted the Holy Spirit to speak to him. And what about you? What about us when we doubt and we need that assurance of salvation? In our modern culture, sometimes people say, well, you know, they're not living for Christ. But they say, well, back then, 20 years ago, I walked the aisle and I said the prayer. So I'm good. But they they haven't devoted themselves to Christ. They haven't. They're living like the world that. Their life doesn't show that they're that way. Or, or they might say, well, I, I've got my Bible here and, and Pastor so-and-so signed it that I was baptized on this day. So that's my assurance. No, brothers and sisters, that's not assurance. You don't need assurance from any man or anything that you and I have done. The Holy Spirit gives us the assurance. The Bible says if you are a child of God, that the Holy Spirit indwells upon you. So you call to him and you say, God, assure me of my salvation. Tell me that I am yours. And if you, are, if, if you are his, he will assure you of that. The salvation comes from the assurance of salvation. When you doubt, always comes from God. And it comes, we experience it when we read the scriptures, when we pray to God, when we hear the preaching of his word. Because Jesus says that my sheep hear my voice and they know me and they follow me. If you are one of his, you will do such. And he, he will, he will, his spirit inside of you will, will let you know that you are his. He will, he will tell you that I am yours, that I will sustain you in that battle, that I am with you through the good and the bad. And when we're in those times when God does deliver us, we need to remember that so that the times when we are in that pit, we can look back and say, God, you are my God, you are my salvation, and you are in control of all things. So I will look to you. He says, I am your salvation. I am your salvation. Listen to Isaiah. So in Isaiah chapter 12, there's a section where he's talking about the righteous reign of the branch, the branch of Jesse, and how men will come to faith in Christ is what he's saying here, that drawing all people, Jew and Gentile, to himself. Isaiah 12, the first two verses says, God says, then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and and you comfort me. Behold, God is my salvation and I will trust and not be afraid for the Lord God is my strength and my song and he has become my salvation. That's the the assurance that you as believers can have that. Christ is ours and he is mine and he we are in his hand. And then David turns, as I said, to the 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 second or the B part, if you will, the praise. First, we had the protest. Now we have the pray. Actually, no, we had the prayer, protest and praise. So we're at the third section, if you will, in verse nine. He says, and my soul shall rejoice, shall rejoice and exult in your salvation. And I think that I am. Skip the protest part, did I not? So, um, let me find if I lost a page here. <laughs> I actually did skip that part. Let me go back. Excuse me. So, the protest here, verse 4, I'm sorry. Verse 4, this is important. I'm glad I didn't skip over this because this is the main imprecation, if you will, of David in verse 4. And notice that when he is imprecating, meaning calling for justice, calling for God's judgment on them, 
you'll see several things over and over. He'll say, let those, let those, let them, let their way. Let, let, let. You'll see it. I underline it several times. So verse 4, he says, let those be ashamed and dishonored who seek my life. Let those be turned back and humiliated who devise evil against me. Let them be like chaff before the wind. Chaff, like so when the wheat is harvested and the seed is captured and the, when they're threshing the wheat and the, the chaff is what blows away that we don't, the, 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 the stuff that's not necessary that's blown away in the wind. And so he said, let them be like the chaff. Just blown away. Let them be gone with the angel of the Lord driving them on. We're going to hear that again. Let their way be dark and slippery with the angel of the Lord pursuing them. I want to get back to the angel of the Lord. But as we look at the chaff and we think, let them be like the chaff before the wind. Do you remember when they came, when the soldiers came for Jesus to take him away? And he was in the Garden of Gethsemane and they came and they had their swords and their clubs and their lanterns. And Jesus says, who do you come? Who are you seeking? And they said, Jesus of Nazareth. What do you say next? I am he. And right then, boom, they all hit the floor, like fell down, all of them. The chaff, like blown away. He said, I am he. And that was it. They, they fell down. And then they stood up and continued to take him in. Can you, what, what kind of. I wonder what would be going through their mind of the soldiers thinking, we all just got knocked down when he said, I am he. And then we're going to arrest this man who they thought was a man only. I don't know. That would, I'd be having some second thoughts about it if he said, I am he. And I hit the floor and I knew that no one touched me. Uh, but like the chaff before the wind. And here, the angel of the Lord. And I, in Psalm 34, the last section we were in, there was a section about the, the angel of the Lord encamps around those who fear him. And here it is again, the angel of the Lord. And so my curiosity was pricked and I thought, well, I need, to, I need to know what this is talking about. Why is it saying the angel of the Lord here several times? So I went back into Genesis and Exodus and I looked up all the places that it said the angel of the Lord. And when it ever said that, it's referring to God himself. It's referring to the second person of the Trinity. When Moses came to the burning bush and the angel of the Lord spoke to him in the, in the burning bush and says, I am the Lord God. And several other, when Jacob wrestled with God, it said he was said to wrestle with the angel, the angel of the Lord. So we're not talking about just angels. We're talking about the angel of the Lord. So he's calling for the angel of the Lord to drive them on. And I, I looked at this and I saw several commentators talking about the angel of the Lord. And I, I, I needed to know more. I still want to know more about that. What, you know, many of them think this is Christ himself incarnate, pre-incarnate, before he came. And, and I, I think we must believe that so because the angel of the Lord several times in, in, the, old, uh, old, in the scriptures say that he is God himself. So the visible picture of who God is. And then he says, he says, for without cause, they hid their net from me in verse seven, without cause, they dug a pit for my soul. So here he's telling, he says, I have a clean conscience before you, God he said, I, I didn't call. I didn't cause this to happen. My, my conscience is clean. Then he says, let destruction come upon him and the net, which he hid for him, let him fall in it. That destruction, let him be destroyed. 
Let him be destroyed. A picture, too, of, of destruction that will come on the last day. Those that have not turned to Christ, they will experience this. And now he turns to praise. So in verse 9, he says, And my soul shall rejoice and exult in his salvation, in God's salvation. You see, Christ is the object of the believer's joy. Our joy is not from what he gives us, but who he is. He is our great king. Our great prophet, our high priest, our redeemer, our savior, our mighty God, our mediator between God and man. So when we think about the joy of the Christian, we can think of it in four different ways. The joy of the Christian, number one, that he possesses all things in Christ. The Bible tells us possessing all things in Christ. We have contentment in him. We have communion with God. We have what we talked about before, assurance of our salvation. That in itself is joyous right there. I mean, we can just stop right there. But no, there's more. That our sins are forgiven. The greatest need of every man, woman, and child on the earth is for their sins to be forgiven. In fact, I, I stated that in the, when I was interviewed for the paper here in Gunnison, that that is the biggest need of all mankind. I didn't get put in the paper, but I, I wish it had. To, for their sins to be forgiven. So we have joy in that. And that sense of salvation, that sure foundation that we can stand on, the rock, that inspires joy. And then, what about after this life? So we've talked about what's in this life, the joys of heaven, the joys of what we look forward to coming. And not just that, but what about even the new heaven and the new earth? You know, when Christ comes back, he will, this earth will be transformed and the he is already recreating as we speak. If you're a believer in Christ, He's recreated you. And He is recreating this. He will recreate this earth where heaven will come down and we will live upon the earth. It says the meek shall inherit the earth. So we have that to look forward to. So there's a joy right there. And our salvation demands an everlasting gratitude, a praise for Him who saved us. Like I said before, we must be careful about our worship. We must, we must realize that we must worship God who gives all things and not what he gives us. Sometimes we can get so enamored by the benefits and what he's given us that we forget who it is that's given, given it to us. So we need to praise God. He is the one that does. He is the one that gives. He is the one who saves. And he says, all my bones will say. So his whole being, he says, Lord, who is like you? There again, if we look back to Exodus fifteen eleven, Song of Moses says, Who is like our God? And then Isaiah 46, 9 says, For I am God and there is no other. I am God and there is none like me, declaring the end from the beginning. Jeremiah ten six says, There is none like you, O Lord. You are great and your name is great in might. He says, Lord, 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 how, who is like you? So he's saying, Jehovah, oh, Jehovah, oh, Yahweh, who is like you? Who is like you? He's distinguishing the Lord God Almighty from everything else. There is no, no comparison. You, you are God and there is nothing that I can even, I mean, you're limitless. You are beyond comprehension many times, but you've, you've given us your word, your revelation so that we can know who you are. And he says too, he says, delivers us from enemies who are too strong for him. We have enemies that are too strong for us on this, on this earth. On this, this, when we're living on this land, we have enemies. Those that are against Christ. Those that are envious of you. But we have even more 
of an enemy being of sin. Sin is sometimes represented as a person. Here it says, who are too strong for him. Who delivers us who are too strong for him. Sometimes sin is, when we look at sin, we think about the world, our own flesh, and the devil, and how they're warring against us. And how sin is rebellion. Sin is rebellion. It's rebellion against God. It's transgression against His holy word. And we're corrupted by this sin. And as believers, we hate it. The unbeliever joys in that. He relishes in that. Thinks that's all there is. And let's live today. But we know more. We know what God says. Sin separates us from our Creator. How sad that is for the one that made us and for us to make a wedge between that great God that created us. And so we see that we have one who is greater than this. We have Christ who is greater than this. Jesus Christ has delivered us from sin, delivered us from that, that evil age and, and the power over it in us. We can praise in that. We can praise in that. And then we see in the next section, we see again how he goes back to prayer in verse 11. He's telling him to rescue me from my destruction. It says, these malicious witnesses, they rise up and they repay me evil for good, grieving my soul. Here David's feeling like he's all alone in the world. How many of us have ever been through a time where we felt like that, where we feel like I'm all alone in this battle and no one's ever experienced like it's like I have. Aren't we like that? I mean, I, I mean we, when we get in that, we think, oh, no, you know, the sky is falling. No one's ever had this type of, well, no, someone has. <laughs> Someone asks, and we have a comforter with us that can walk through that fire, that can walk through those waters and deliver us. Even when we're in grief, we can call upon God. We can protest, if you will, uh, pour our heart out to him. And then he says, he says, David says, but as for me, so he says what they did. Then he says, but as for me, when they were sick, I put on sackcloth. I humbled myself. I fasted. I bowed down as a sorrowing for a mother. He says, I was not like them. I showed kindness. Have you ever showed kindness and love to someone and they, you turn around and they've stuck something in your back? I mean, I have. I'm sure most of you at some point have had someone who was close to you that, that really did you wrong and you did them right. And why is this? What's happening? You know, he's saying what's happening. And he's saying that prayer kept returning to my bosom, meaning I, I prayed without ceasing. It was silent aspirations within my heart for that person who did me wrong. Well, God, what's happening here? What is happening? He says, at, the, at my stumbling, they rejoiced. David said he fasted and prayed for their trouble. And then they're yipping up and down about, woohoo, David's, David's in the pit. Glad he's there. He's, God, what, why is this? They slandered me without ceasing. Some, some uh, translations will say they tore at me without ceasing. Like a wild animal. Have you ever seen a wild animal tear at something dead? They tear at them. And, I mean, it's like that, that metaphor that they just, I mean, they tore at me. They were trying to destroy me. And he says, like godless gestures at a feast, they gnashed their teeth at me. You know, they gnashed their teeth at them then, but there is a time, and the Bible says, that those who gnash their teeth like this will one day gnash their teeth in perpetual agony because they would not turn to God and they would not repent of their sins. 
So that gnashing of teeth that they're experiencing against David for a short while, well, after a thousand years, they'll think it's over, it's just started. That gnashing and that endless agony. You see, these were former friends. And we know this because David said he fasted, he prayed for them. Former friends. I've had former friends who were professing Christian, and I believe they are Christians, and, and, and ministered together who, who uh, I don't know what happened. I, I didn't feel like I did anything, but there, there was a, a time of division that happened in my life, and it was terribly painful because, because this was like my brother. And, and he, he didn't have the same feelings. He, he, he obviously wasn't, didn't have that for me. And it, it, was, it was that Christian brother that, I'll lay down my life for you. I'll pray for you. I will. I will. And, and, and that, that wasn't reciprocated. In fact, it was more than not reciprocated. But that, that happens in this world because it is a fallen world. But when we look at this too, we think about Jesus on the cross. We think about those who rejoiced over him as he hung on the cross. Even Satan himself, thinking, I've got him now. I killed the Messiah. Well, he didn't know what was happening. He didn't, he, he didn't understand how God, how God had sent Jesus. And then no one took his life, but he offered it up for those who would repent and turn to him. And how they mocked him. It says, it says like godless gestures at a feast. That feast reminds me of Passover feast. And how the... The Jewish people were preparing for Passover while preparing while Jesus was hanging on the cross. The Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the, of the world was, was, was dying on the cross and they were feasting at the Passover what they thought, worshiping God the way they thought, not knowing that He had come down in flesh to them. So we think of Jesus on the cross here as, as, as David protests. We think of our own life. But then he, then he turns. He turns to praise. Again, He turns to praise. And this can be our, our way too. We pray. We maybe protest. We praise. Because God, He knows God's going to answer Him. God hadn't answered Him yet. But He, he said, I'm going to praise you anyway. He says, but then He says, Lord, how long will you look on? Several places in the Scripture it says, how long? You as believers... I know you must have been at a time when you said, how long, Lord? How long do I have to suffer through this? How long will you wait to make things right? It's as if David is frustrated with God's apparent inactivity. Like he's not seeing, not hearing. Don't you see this? But David, like all of us, like all even unbelievers who are made in God's image, have a desire for justice. Everyone. We're made in God's image. So when I go to the person on the street and I talk to them, he says, I don't believe in what you're saying. I don't believe in it. I don't believe there is a God. I, you know, I ask him, you believe there's a right and wrong? Well, no, it's everybody's, everybody's own opinion. Okay? So if I lie to you, is that okay? Well, you know, whatever. How about if I take your wallet and take off? Is that all right? Well, no, no, that's not all right. Well, why is that not all right? Because he knows justice. He knows there's good and he knows there's right and wrong. He's suppressing the truth he knows. He's saying, no, I will not let that come up because I want to be my God and I am proud. That's what he's doing. That's what the unbeliever, that's what you as an unbeliever did at one time. At least I did at one time. 
But we are all made in that. So when he says, how long? How long? He's crying out to God. But we need to look at it from the perspective of who God is and who he's told us who he is in his scripture. Sometimes it may be how long as he's answering you. It could be long enough. Long enough to try your faith. To try your faith. If I rescued you right away, well, I wouldn't, I'm not, I'm not strengthening your faith any. So it could be long enough for that. It could be long enough to teach you your own weaknesses. The things that you have placed above God. Maybe good things, your family or your spouse, maybe your job, maybe upward mobility and finances, um, the things you like to watch, your entertainment, sports. Sometimes we have placed things above God. Maybe he's trying you and saying how long so that you can know who you are to worship, who you are to praise, who you are to hold at the top and not the stuff that we sometimes put there. Or it could be how long to value the deliverance that is on the way. It's coming. But if he, if he did it right away, how much, would you, how much would you honor that? How much would you glory in that? But in that long period, when God saves you, you look back and you say, oh, praise God. Praise God, you delivered me out of that. So, another one, how long? Well, maybe until the right moment. You ever thought about that? God's perfect timing? How much do our clocks get way ahead of God's? We think, all right, God, you know, the alarm went off. Why haven't you done something? Say, no. I'm not on your clock. Throw that clock away because it's keeping bad time. He says, no, there's, there's God's timing. God's timing. Listen to this quote that I don't know another theologian said. He says, sometimes it's not a moment too soon for his glory and not a moment too late for your good. For your good. It's for your good. And he continues, I will give thanks to the great congregation. I will praise you among the mighty throng. All honor and glory to God. We praise Him as we're here this morning and we praise Him through song. We praise Him through the preaching of the Word. We praise Him through the reading of the Scripture. Through our time of communion. God is the offer of such grace and mercy to us. Us who are completely unworthy of receiving any of them. And yet He still gives them to us. Going to the third section. I know it's a longer psalm, but stay with, stay with me because this psalm needs to be put together. and It didn't break up, and so we needed to take it on as a whole because of this parallelism. He says, he prays again, Do not let those who are wrongfully my enemies rejoice over me, nor let those who hate me without cause wink maliciously. This is verse 19. When they're winking maliciously, it's like they're telling you one thing, but in their mind, they're, they're fixing to bury you. They're winking at you like it's an expression to say, I don't wink very good, but it's like, yeah, I'm your friend, but no, not just wait, just wait. Turn with me to, uh, to John chapter 15 right quick. John 15. This is applicable, applicable to this uh, passage, I believe. So John 15, verse 18. So Jesus is speaking to his disciples. In the Gospel of John. And he says this. He says, If the world hates you, you know that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love its own. But because you are not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, 
Because of this world, because of this, the world hates you. Because God chose you, the world hates you. And it hated Jesus. The servant is not greater than his master. Continue on, verse 19, he says, or excuse me, verse 20. He says, remember the word that I said to you, a slave is no greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will keep yours also. But all these things that they do, that they will do to you for my name's sake, because they do not know the one who has sent me. If I have not come and spoken to them, they would not have sin. But now they have no excuse for their sin. He who hates me hates my father also. If I had not done among them the works which no one else did, they would not have sin. But now they have both seen and hated me and my father as well. And here it is. But they have done this to fulfill the word that is written in their law. They hated me without cause. You see that in verse 19? Nor let those who hate me without cause. Jesus is alluding, even in that scripture, back to the scriptures. That we have. Turn back with me to Psalm 35. In 35, he continues on in his protest in verse, picking up in verse 20. And he says, they don't speak peace. The words are deceitful. They open their mouth against me. All these things that the, that the wicked do to us, to you and I, to David, to Christ. Then skip down with me to 24. He says, verse 24, he says, Lord, judge me, O Lord, my God, according to your righteousness. Not mine. According to your righteousness. David knew he had no righteousness. I hope you sitting here now know that in yourselves you have no righteousness. But God came and and Jesus came and what Jesus did on the cross Through his death, burial, and resurrection, he now imputes his righteousness because he was pure and holy and all perfect to you. And he takes away that unrighteousness and that sin. And now he's clothed you in the blood of Christ. So David knew that I'm a, David knew like you and I, I hope you know, sitting here that you're, that we are guilty of sin. We're guilty sinners, but we're saved by grace if we turn to him. Listen to these words from Spurgeon speaking about this section. Charles Spurgeon said, speaking of these people who are against him, he said, here is the eternal result of all labor, laborious and crafty devices of the Lord's enemies. God will make little of them, though they magnify themselves. He will shame them for shaming his people, bringing them into confusion for making confusion on us. Pulling off their fine apparel and giving them a beggarly suit of dishonor, and turning all their rejoicing into weeping forevermore, and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Truly the saints can afford to wait. To wait for God to deal with them. What does God say? He says, vengeance is mine. Vengeance is mine. And then, and then we're continuing, we're concluding here at verse, 20, verse 27. He goes back to praise. Hallelujah. I hope you go back to praise throughout your life. Continue praising for what God has done. He says, let them, meaning those in Christ, shout for joy and, rejo- and, and rejoice. 
who favor my vindication. These are those who are other believers that are glad that Christ vindicated David, that that he delivered him. Let them say continually, that's all the time, the Lord be magnified. Some translation says, great is the Lord. Let them say that all the time. Great is the Lord who delights in the prosperity of his servant. His servant being David. The suffering servant being Jesus. And if you're in Christ, you're called to be a servant of him now. He says continually, all day long. As the goodness of God towards us has no end. No end. Our praise should have no end and be without ceasing. All the time. Verse 28, and my tongue, meaning I will speak it, shall declare your righteousness. Meaning I will proclaim it. I will preach it from the mountaintops. Evangelism. Telling others about Christ. He says, because of all this and who you are, my tongue shall declare your righteousness. The righteousness of God is Christ Jesus. Tells us that in Romans. And he says, I'll praise you all day long. Jesus Christ, the incarnate Son of God. There is no other name under heaven under which which a man can be saved. The Bible says. So we see David praising God. Praising God in the storm. Praising God for who He is. And as we conclude, we want to see some applications. And these are some applications from this Scripture, I think, that, that jumped out that I thought were beneficial to you and to me. So when we, when we look at the way that we deal, or to the way we need to deal with our own soul, or I say the way that you need to deal with your own soul, think about these things. Number one, look at yourself before calling down judgment, as David did. Look at yourself to see if there's something that, that God's working in you in this time. Sometimes we focus on the enemies, but we need to focus on God. And notice, too, that David appeals to God. He doesn't take a vengeance into his own hand. He's not like the, the movies we watch all these, all these days where everybody's, you know, this happened to me, so I'm going to, you know, take wrath upon this person and I'm going to, you know, vigilante, you know, who's the guy, Bronson, you know, old Bronson movies. Y'all probably don't remember those, but, uh, you know, there was vengeance and, you know, he's going to take it upon himself. No, he, he lets God do that. So examine your own life before God. Know that God is in control. I mean, how much peace that gives us that God is in control. That He knew what happened, knew what was going to happen yesterday. He knows what's before us today. He knew that you were going to be seated here. He knew whatever He's speaking to you through this passage today, that He was going to do that. Know that God is in control and He's always working for us too. So when you're in that, confess before God and let God do that self-exam, or you do that self-examination. Prayer puts us in thoughts with God. So when we pray and we call out to Him, He works within, our, within us. And that, that leads me to the second point. Be diligent in prayer. Let Him be your defense. Let Him be your defense. We don't have, we're not strong enough. We're not, we don't have all the resources we need. We don't, have, we don't have all power. We need God. Let Him be our defense. And remember David's resolve in all this. What did he do at the end of all these passages? Praise. Praise the Lord. In the beginning he did. In the middle he did. At the end he did. Through it. In all circumstances. And and note number three, David's restraint. As I said before, he's not seeking vengeance. He's not saying, they said a bad word about me, so God, bring down lightning. He's not saying that. 
These were enemies of God, too. These are not people that have just slighted him. So we need to see the, the, uh, you know, the context of this. Number four, sometimes we let our enemies distract us from the Savior. Focus on God in those times. Don't focus on, focus on those that are coming at you. Focus on your Deliverer, on your Savior. Pour your heart out to God. He hears and He listens and He delivers. Know, like Jesus said, that, he, that you will be hated like the world because they, they hated Him. They hated Him. Know that God is a God of justice and mercy and grace. So as we finish this morning, the prayer that we should be giving out to God is, God, deal with them, the enemies, according to your justice and grace and mercy. Not according to what I think is right. I'm not God. I don't know what's best. I think I know what's best, but I have no idea what's best. And neither do you. But God does. Know that I don't know what's best. Know that He is God and I am not. And just tell God, I will praise you continuously through the good and the bad. Just God, just let me be in your hand. And it will be well with my soul. For your grace is sufficient. Bow with me in prayer this morning. Lord, we thank you for this psalm. Lord, we thank you for your scriptures, for the word of God. And how it speaks to our heart and how you open it up for us to understand how you bless us with the experiences of the saints that have gone before us, that you've given us an example to follow, that we can walk in your ways, that we can turn to you in faith. Lord, how it all points to Christ. Lord, we thank you for the deliverance that you've given each person that's, that's in Christ that's sitting here this morning, Lord. And I just praise you and glory in that. The recreation that you've done, the recreating that you will do yet, and even some that are sitting here this morning, that, Lord, that you will speak to their hearts, that you will let them know that I am your salvation, that I am God and there is none like me. And Lord, we will praise you in the congregation for that. We will worship you. Lord, we thank you. We glory in who you are and what you've done and in, in your word. It's in Christ's name that we pray. Amen.